comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Inherent Vice and Selma. Alabama? The very same. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Guten Tag! Out oh, Now is a film podcast. Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, and then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 177. 177. That's pretty good. That's pretty high. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to get to 178 pretty soon. It's on It's on the docket. That's what on I the know. docket? Yeah. All right, yeah. Planned. Yeah. And uh, we, got a, we have a double review this week Abe. we are doing two movies we have Inver- we have inherent vice and yeah. selma i'm pretty sure it's called the double entendre but i, I don't think that but <laughs> oh. oh all right but no we got two we got two movies they've been you know kind of around in some theaters but they finally came out in wider release this week so like why not do both of them right why not give I, us more work i would agree i mean there's some a lot of good movies that came out during the holiday season that we didn't get a chance to review and here we are here we are yeah, yeah. so with that in mind we have to go with our two reviews, we have two guests with us. We have, from M-Time China, the man walked over many hippies to get here. It's Todd Gilchrist. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. And uh, also, from the Beverly Press, just finishing his plate of pancakes, it's Jonathan Van Dyke. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> He's proud of those pancake finishing. Yeah, he, he got it. Yeah. And uh, Todd, first time having you on. Good to have you on the show here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. Always good to have new guests on and always good to have the the old fuddy duddies like jonathan van dyke on as well <laughs> hey if i can curmudgeon it up so can you <laughs> okay. we love you john i mean i use the term fuddy duddy so clearly it is pretty old right now <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, before we get to the main show here let's do some show note stuff abe i keep talking about new commentaries don't i we we were so we had a, a few scheduling issues. That's why we haven't had a lot of commentaries lately. But we plan on doing them. Yeah, we have we have, some, we have two fun ones planned. And who knows what – it's 2015 now. There's all kinds of potential for various movies celebrating anniversaries coming up. I mean, new commentary yeah, board. if you just want Aaron and I to do it alone, just upvote something on Facebook. And we'll, we'll just be like, fine, we'll do it. Well, after our epic top ten episode, which was a lot of fun, by the way. It was. Um, and please feel free to listen to that one. Uh, so we did mention Winter's Tale, and then we, of course, got a Twitter response saying, you guys should definitely do a commentary for Winter's Tale. <laughs> so, <laughs> In we'll terrible see. Irish accents. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, new commentary should be coming at some point. We'll just put that out there right now. some point. Yeah. yeah. And let's see. iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. It helps out our show. It helps other people find our show. We, of course have been getting a number of new reviews every so often. It's been really cool to read out in the show and everything. But yeah, just log into iTunes, give us a star rating, possibly write a little sentence or so. It you know really help out the show. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on now. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we, Abe and I, ask a few questions, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know no everybody. everybody. <laughs> uh, Not too bad. 2015 first. <laughs> 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 yes, that's correct. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Because Inherent Vice is 
some people are not flocking to it and responding in the way that necessarily everyone would like love for it to be. I have to ask, what do you consider a weird movie? Like, if someone called, says something's a weird movie, what does that mean to you? Hmm. Yep, Who would you like to start? Any any of you. Typically, I feel like anybody who says they're watching a weird movie is somebody who doesn't watch a lot of movies. And, and so they watch something that is marginally uh, more complicated than they're accustomed to. And they're like, why did... Or, or they think there's something that doesn't make sense, which is, I'm sure, something we'll cover when we talk about Inherent Vice. But the idea of something that is a little bit unusual uh, in, in terms of conventions, much more so than, like, truly weird. I mean, uh, you know, everything doesn't have to be that's weird. It's not like a David Lynch movie. I mean, but, um, but, but for some reason, everybody who sees something or many people who see something that is not completely familiar and easy to digest they're like that movie was weird i'm like no the lego movie was not that weird so. every now and then you get something <laughs> like under the skin which many people loved and yet would i could easily say that's a weird movie that's a weird for movie. sure yeah. for sure i agree with that yeah but i, I yeah. basically i agree with todd which is if you have a premise that is a little bit just one step over the convention line it's considered a weird movie because it's just something that people don't really see or you go five steps and you get beyond the black rainbow. I mean, then that it's just that's a crazy movie. Or I didn't understand that movie. Yeah, I was gonna go Southland Tales. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they had John Lovitz as like an assassin in that movie. So, <laughs> but then Dude, I didn't I, know that that guy hasn't done anything since the box, according to IMDb. Yeah, what yeah well, know? that movie bombed. Yeah. But I, I support Richard Kelly's decisions. <laughs> and I like Southland Tales. It was amusing. I, it, was amusing. I, it certainly grew on me. Like, I've watched it multiple times because I couldn't get out of my head. It's like, yeah, it's, he's doing stuff. That guy must have really, he must have, like, chosen not to do things, though. Because M. Night Shyamalan got to make more and more movies. How does the guy who did Donnie Darko only get two after Donnie well, Darko? Well, M. Night Shyamalan has, like, one of, had one of, like, the biggest movies ever when he's, you know, when Six Sense came out. Donnie Darko made, like, 40, cent, 40 cents and then just got a cult following. So you get uh, more opportunities that way. <laughs> fine. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he, I, mean, the, I mean, the truth is that he made, like, four or five movies that yeah. were huge hits. So, you know, he can keep sort of making bad movies whereas you can only make one good cult movie and you know and then after that you know he made two that i think are not very good so so and and neither of them made money so nobody's going to pay him to make more and he also wrote domino that that's important to notice i i you know i was talking about domino the other day and is that one of your like go-to movies it's, well, i like domino quite a bit but i have the dvd and it's signed by richard kelly so nice <laughs> Yeah, collector's <laughs> item. That's what we call that. <laughs> uh, okay, Abe, what's your question? The question is, if you guys had to write a police character, like a detective, what kind of hairstyle would you give him? Josh Brolin's got that, you know... That flat top. Crop cut, yeah, flat top. But, you know, you've seen caps in these types of movies where they've got the, the suave, comb-over kind of thing going. But Josh Brolin, I don't know. I'd probably write the flat top, too, because uh, it's more... You can do more with it. Most times I get asked about what hair people should have in movies these days. It is um, Jai Courtney's faux hawk from Divergent. So that's... That is an awful haircut. <laughs> a faux hawk would be like the, the, the cool detective, right? He just sure, The one that really yeah. doesn't care about his police captain. Well, why not? Yeah. 
Yeah. I assume we just make him into <clears throat> McConaughey's character in True Detective. Wait, He's got a good like, hairstyle. No, like the older version? The yeah, old which era? Of which course. Era? Oh. With the ponytail, huh? <laughs> ponytail scraggly is. <laughs> yeah. The, like... Or even just go further, the yeah, the ponytail when you're like don't even have any hair. Like it looks like it, it looks like he's he's bathed in like the beer that he's drinking at the interrogation. It's good times. My dad just finished it. He liked it a lot. Dad review. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. For nice. That. Yeah, thank you for that. We good? We good on that question, Abe? You guys had some pretty solid answers. Okay, <laughs> then that's how you play. No, everybody. All right, moving on. Let's get out of quickies. Jim. Each week on out now, we have one main movie, or we have two movies this week that we talk about, but we always have other movies that I might have seen during the week. That's how it's time to find out now, quickies. Jim. All right. That in mind, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? Not this week, but a couple of weeks ago, I caught, uh, what is the Eddie Redmayne movie? The Theory of Everything? Theory of Everything, yeah. I was going to say The Beautiful Theory of Everything. Um, it was okay. I think that there was some nice cinematography and some nice uh, writing here and there in terms of the emotional beats, but on the whole, it, it was okay. Yeah, that's kind of where I felt. I mean, the performances are strong, yeah, but it's like, right. yeah, it's an okay movie. Yeah. I really like the end credits. I don't like having to point that out, but the end credits are actually quite nice in that movie. I don't remember the end credits. It's just like Maybe going through the galaxy and then the score is all up. And oh, okay. Everything. All right. I was just I was like, because that's the last thing I see in that movie before I walk out. I was just like, no, that was, that was nice. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. He, he, go, he goes <laughs> with Matthew McConaughey to discover Exactly, they go interstellar. <laughs> yeah. Todd, have you seen any other movies this week? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, I saw uh, Paddington last week. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't as big a fan of it as everybody else seems to be. I mean, I, uh, I've, I've kind of, uh, I guess, not having any children, um, or maybe not. I don't know if that has anything to do with it at all. But um, it's not. It, I didn't warm to it in the way that many other people seem to. But you know, it's it's surprisingly effective in certain moments. I think the problem for me is that without giving too much away. You know, it sort of combines this family, you know, feel good kind of stuff with like a sort of crimey kind of subplot. And I feel like when kids movies or these kind of like comedies that are supposed to be heartwarming decide they want to throw like plot machinery that usually involves some sort of criminal act or, you know, robbery or, you know, something like that. It kind of undermines the rest of it. And I definitely feel like that was the case with it. But at the same time, the special effects are pretty terrific. Um, you know, I did the, the, actually the press day was last week for it. And they were talking about Ben Wishaw as the voice of Paddington. And it didn't quite dawn on me until they started talking about it, just kind of how perfect he is at having sort of a very, uh, sort of proper sort of, uh, accent that also managed to be really endearing and kind of adorable. And so I think that like gives it a lot of mileage that even, you know, the, the, the crime stuff, wouldn't have uh, otherwise. All right, so Paddington, it's Harry yeah. and the Hendersons meets Heat. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great shootout scene. I'm, I'm hoping. That's right. And, and you know, the, the, the only the thing is that you only see uh, Paddington and Nicole Kidman in one scene, and so the whole movie is like just them coming together in that one diner scene, and then the rest of the movie is um, <laughs> them. <laughs> completely separate it's it's like a whole thing you know and and i don't know if you you when you watch it you may not even see them in the same shot so it's possible they weren't even there weren't even at there. the same well, time there's a lot so, of movie on the score as well he just, yeah he just like shows yeah. up like do you want to get a cup of coffee yeah. 
Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Coming soon. Out now's commentary for Heat. All three hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. John, have you seen any other movies this week? I caught two um, that are worth mentioning. Uh, one would be uh, I finally saw Whiplash, and nice. it's probably the best movie of the year that I've seen, at least. Um, the I don't know if it's my favorite movie of the year, but I think, like, objectively, it's probably the best movie I've seen this year, for You're sure. You're a big Interstellar fan, correct? Yeah, I would say, my, I mean, my, my quick short list is probably, at this point, Whiplash, Birdman, Boyhood, Interstellar. I mean, those are all fantastic movies. Um, but yeah, Whiplash is just, like, the most affecting film I've seen this year. Like, you definitely, like, are kind of, like, sit with it for a second when the credits hit kind of thing. And and just what it says about art, I think, is and whether you want to push yourself or not or, or if you need to or not and, and to what level is very interesting to me. So uh, definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, I would not be surprised if it got the best supporting actor. Win for J.K. Simmons. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, Miles Teller. Uh, always been a fan and uh, continue to be a fan. And then uh, he needs a better haircut in the next see... Divergent movie, that's for sure. But I mean, after that, yeah. <laughs> well, he has had no problem throwing that under the bus at, uh, in interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I did see uh, new to Netflix and probably worth people's time, just because there's barely ever any new movies on Netflix. Uh, is Frank? Yep. Oh. Hey. And uh, I, I saw that, and I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I wasn't like, it's not like a Pantheon movie for me, but I think it's it's definitely worth people checking out. It's got cool music. It's got in, in, uh, like a fa- kind of fascinating performance by uh, Michael Fassbender. And, uh, and yeah, no, it's uh, it's kind of just a, a nice little quick indie movie you can pick up on Netflix right now. Yeah, Abe and I were big fans of Frank. Yeah, I think it was like one of my more uh, surprising movies. Hey, real quick, because we you know, brought up top tens, kind of. Todd, what did you have? A, did you have a final top ten list assembled yet? I sure did. I sure did. Uh, my top ten. I only could ever really do it alphabetically because it's. I always find it hard to go like, well, this one was number seven and this one was number eight. Fair know, enough. Whatever. That but, sounds fair. Yeah. But uh, but so I do alphabetically, and it was uh, Cheap Thrills, Ooh. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Ida, Inherent Vice, Journey to the West. Uh, the Stephen Chow movie, I, Lego movie. See, Journey to the West has been on my Netflix queue for a while, and I've still yet to watch it, but I really want to because I like Stephen Chow quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lego movie, Nightcrawler, uh, The Raid 2, and Whiplash. So those were my top ten. And, and it's funny because, you know, after I made the list, people were like, oh, you didn't put Selma on there, and you didn't put uh, Boyhood. I came very late to Boyhood, and I like Boyhood a lot, but it didn't resonate for me quite in the way that I feel like it might have had I seen it you know, maybe earlier in the in its sort of ascendancy of of, uh, of the kind of recognition that it got. Um, you know, I mean, I just came to it. I was like, I hear this is amazing, and it was very good. And like, I'm probably going to watch it again today, to be totally honest. But but I uh, but that and Selma Selma is incredibly powerful, and it, I think it's unquestionably one of the best movies of the year. Um, but I always sort of draw the distinction between like best and favorite. My, my top ten is my favorite 10 movies of the year and you know, I, I, whatever objective standard exists to determine what the best movies of the year are, they probably don't have that much to do with all the movies that I consider to be my favorite. Although I would be in agreement that whiplash is about as well made a movie as you're going to see this or, you know, any other year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cool. 
Well, thanks for that. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't go. My quickie. Um, yeah. Oh, boy. I saw Take Three this week. Take Three. <laughs> and that was a movie that I definitely saw in a theater. Um, <laughs> it I be- sounds like a hoot. Like, we didn't talk about Taken 2 on this podcast, but Jordan Grout and I believe we did, like, a bonus episode yeah. thing for it. And that was, that was like, that was a movie where Liam Neeson instructed his very stupid daughter to throw grenades into public so she could better find out where he or To be fair, she threw it up in the air. Yeah, that, that makes the, <laughs> the live grenadings better. Thank you for that. Yeah, this, the strap will she spit at yeah. the altar of Liam Neeson's? <laughs> this movie is worse than that movie <laughs> and by by a wide mile it is awful and i wasn't necessarily expecting much but it's definitely proven to me that uh luke Besson's protege you know one of his many olivia megaton who has like the best name in hollywood is like the worst of his proteges and one of the worst action directors working like the movie oh, is so like wow. incomprehensible there wow. are, there are like i believe there are like three car chases there could be more or less i don't remember honestly because <laughs> the movie is so terrible but there's one where it's like there's so much stuff going on and so many edits and close-up shots that I, I, I saw things spinning, but I'm not I, I felt like I saw two characters die again and again, but they were still around. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not usually bad at this. I can ha- If I can handle Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, I feel like I can handle anything. Yet, <laughs> there are still some problems here. Because it's I almost like a John Woo movie, like when they use the, the uh, stunt characters over and over again. Yeah, but in John Woo movies, you know exactly what's happening because John Woo's a master of action. This is, this is true. <laughs> this is not the case. In the I know when doves are going to fly. Yeah. yeah. It is... It is awful. There are scenes of Liam Neeson where he's supposed to be, like, hectically running away from police, but because of, you know, Neeson being 62 years old, the editing's just like, we'll just what? rapidly cut around him, and he'll just kind of, like, hurriedly jog in places, and it'll seem like he's sprinting <laughs> away. Um, I just pan out and he's, like, two feet away from the cast. Oh, my God. Forrest uh, Whitaker's in this movie. He plays a cop going after Neeson who's been framed for murder, because it's like a bad retread of The Fugitive. And his character uh, is so bored, or he's so bored as his character, that he has both a chess piece and a rubber band in his hand to keep his hands occupied throughout the movie. There are so many things. Say a chess piece? A chess piece, yeah. He has a, a knight. Piece. He has okay. a knight in his gotcha. hand. Gotcha. And, and you know, represent, of course, the game of chess that he's playing. I wasn't Liam sure Neeson's if character. you were talking about, like, a chest piece. No, a chess piece. And a rubber, like, and a rubber band. He has two different things in his hands at all times, so he can be like, I'm busy the whole time in this movie. That's my character. There's, and I, I haven't even talked about the plot of this movie yet. But no, I, you I, haven't. I was going to ask you if he's going to kill those those guys from whatever country. No, I thought oh, you were going to say there was no plot. It's there, but it's really padded. There's a whole like, he, he's like, oh my god. There's there's a whole segment of him like having to like his daughter Maggie Grace, who's like I believe she's in like her early thirties. She's oh yeah, and she was like I believe in like early high school when she was you know twenty seven making the first movie. Um, <laughs> now she's now she's in college, of course, because that adds up. <laughs> and uh, and there's like a whole segment of Liam Neeson like breaking into the school and like beating up security guards just so he can tell his daughter that he loves her before leaving and actually engaging with the plot. That's like 20 minutes of movie that has no bearing on anything except Liam Neeson beating up people that didn't. They're showing him. how much of a father figure he is. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do anything to talk to his daughter. Yeah. So, with all of that in mind, Taken 3 is a horrible movie. <laughs> it is, it is god-awful. And it wow. made about $40 million at the box office this weekend. So, good on you, Taken 4. Here it comes. Hopefully not directed by Olivier Megan. How do you put the 4 in Taken? It, it'd be the T, I believe, right? <laughs> no, yes, it'd be the S. A. It'd be the A, you're right. Yes, it would be the A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twerking. Twerking, yeah. 
It would it would involve Ice Cube as well, so it'd be a, a, a Torque prequel, sequel, spinoff. Because <laughs> Torque oh takes place goodness. in the future. That's the only way that movie makes sense. Oh. I believe Torque takes place in the future. Okay, so with all that said, that's not a cookie. You mean Torque could damn. take place in Tokyo? It yeah, could. Tor- we would Torkin only Drift. be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love Tokyo Drift. I'm not being. Oh, I, uh, I, oh Tokyo I don't Drift, think please. you're. I think you're talking to all. Fast you're talking to the right people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just making sure. I don't want you know. So is there somebody who doesn't like Fast and Furious franchise? Before, I don't know. I don't want to know that. Person. Before five came out, Tokyo Drift was easily the best in the franchise. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's it's Karate yeah. Kid with cars. That's the movie. I mean. It's a perfect yes. for It's the movie that got me back into the Fast and Furious series. Yeah. I was I like, oh, say, wow. I could, they, I, they did a good job here. I can already say right now that Todd has ensured himself another spot in this podcast because of his love <laughs> <laughs> And if he brings Justin Lin along. Yeah. 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 I'll see what I can do. There you I'll go. Thanks. <laughs> when he's on break from True Detective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, let's move on now. Let's get to Trailer Talk, where each week we talk about one of the newest movie trailers, what we thought of them, when it's coming out, and what have you. And this week we have... An Ant-Man trailer, or Ant-Man. Uh, no one's going to call it that. Only I will. Um, Ant-Man is, of course, the latest, or the next, not the next, because Ultron's coming next. It is the upcoming Marvel movie this July, formerly to be directed by Edgar Wright, now directed by the next best thing, Peyton Reed. And it's, it stars Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas, Corey Stoll in bald mode, the perfect kind of Corey Stoll, and many other people. We've seen the trailer. John... I know you have a, you have a touch and go relationship with Marvel. It seems. <laughs> what what did you think of this trailer? Uh, I will say when it first came out, I thought the trailer was very train wrecky looking, <laughs> and then I just watched it right before now to kind of reapprise myself, and I was kind of like, okay, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought, but. Uh, I guess the trailer definitely doesn't uh, make me any more confident in this movie. Uh, considering, like, I think 2014 was kind of like almost the year of the trailer, uh, where a lot of big budget films, like, just had awesome trailers. <laughs> uh, one being the Avengers trailer, uh, you know, another being Fast and Furious, and maybe the, and of course, the best of all, as Aaron and I and I have discussed being Mad Max. Um, so I thought this trailer, you know, I, I don't think it does anything wrong. It just didn't make it look like this awesome movie that, like, demands my viewing as a person who's been more about kind of the bigger Avengers or, like, the original Iron Man versus kind of some of the other iterations of the Marvel franchise. Or, or, and I like Guardians 2 a lot. So, I mean, I'm still willing to think it could be okay, but uh, tonally, it was kind of a weird trailer. Like, is it going to be funny? Is it going to be serious? going to be a little bit of both, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, it didn't blow me away, at least. Todd, what do you think of the Ant-Man trailer? You know, I, I mean, generally speaking, I have difficulty <clears throat> investing too much uh, judgment in trailers because... You know, you can see a great trailer for a bad movie or you can see a bad trailer for a great movie. And, you know, as Guardians proved, um, you know, the the expectation or the anticipation that something is so out of left field and bad that it can't work uh, can be so roundly disproven by something that's so fun. Um, you know, and man, I, I admit that I had a little trepidation once, not because I don't like Peyton Reed, but because, um, Edgar Wright had spent so much time developing and putting so much of himself into it. And I, and at the same time, I sort of understand that at the time that when he started it, it, you know, Marvel was not the Marvel that it is today. And so like 
they can't take it. They maybe they feel like they can't take this the the level of risk in putting something that seems so discordant to the rest of the Marvel universe they're creating. Um, but I mean, like what I saw looked okay. I'm, I was kind of surprised there was so little um, sort of real ant action kind of stuff. Like I mean, you know, in terms of just demonstrating to uh, audiences like what kind of stuff they'll get to see. I mean, you you, I, you know, for better or for worse, you do get a sense of of sort of the attitude of Guardians of the Galaxy, even from the earliest stuff, whereas this is kind of like, well, there's, you know, like one joke, and then there's like the sort of uh, serious voiceover kind of stuff. But there, I didn't feel like there was anything where I was like, oh, yeah, no, I really get how they're doing this or what they're doing. And, and I had actually read an interview where, I guess it was the Entertainment Weekly um, piece from the set, where they were talking about how they did all this sort of, uh, certain kind of photography to emphasize like the the smaller size and things like that. They're not just creating like a giant ball. They're doing you know things that that actually give it a, a, a interesting kind of dimensionality. And uh, you know I'd be interested in seeing what all that stuff is. I'm still interested in seeing the movie, but the trailer, I guess, for the sake of promoting what the movie is or isn't, did not do a particularly great job. I just assume they have a lot of. Um scenes taking place in backyards so they can reuse sets from honey i shrunk the kids yeah exactly exactly (laughs) i hope he ends up in a giant cheerio that's i mean like that's kind of like it will get like automatic three stars just from having ant-man land in a giant cheerio i can't tell you how many movies regardless of people get big or small i just hope end up in giant cheerios at at some point anyway so yeah yeah Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, if there, if if there was at some point it's like, there oh, was. Batman, no, you want a cheerio? Like yeah. I would have been over the moon. Yeah, that's how he got back to Gotham so quickly. He that, took the river that was white and he sat in a raft that looked like a cheerio. With all that nonsense aside, Abe, what do you think of the Ant Man trailer? Uh, for the most part, I thought that it was is okay. I th- I'm glad that they had the Paul uh, Paul Rudd isms. He was able to do some some loose kind of bantery <laughs> comedy, and I I'm glad that. Uh, Marvel is taking the direction in which it's going because I basically just have ultimate trust in Marvel. Uh, I was sad to see that Edgar Wright dropped out, but I'm sure that they have to do things that make Marvel a a you know a, an a enterprise that can continue brand, yeah. right that can continue into the future. So uh, that's understandable. So as little as they showed me in terms of plot, minus Michael Douglas and a daughter, uh, I'm glad that. This movie's coming out, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm in the basically the same realm as most of you guys here. I mean, it's it's surprisingly conventional as far as trailer goes. You get you know ominous voiceover, like one joke, and then like a, a flurry of uh, of moments to like give you a sense of what's going on. And I feel like that was if it it, it seems like somewhat of a mistake. If anything, like I feel like Ant Man, much like Guardians, and some of the more obscure properties we've seen are the kind of ones that need the extra boost to really get you interested in it. Because I don't know how much people are like, wow, Michael Douglas has a voiceover? That means I need to see this movie. Or they say, ooh, Paul Rudd's here? I like Paul Rudd. I should automatically see this. I don't know what, what that is exactly. We're guard- I mean, Guardians, it's weirder, I guess, to an extent, because there's four of them as opposed to just, and it's in space, as opposed to just like, hey, there's a guy that shrinks. But at the same time, it's like, does everyone know this character? Does like does everyone know who Ant Man is? And is seeing one scene of him getting small, and then a person riding a giant ant in the midst of like heavy backstory and like standard Marvel type dialogue really going to do it for you? I don't know. If anything, for you know the first teaser, I would have liked to see just like a 
an up like an upgraded version of that that Comic Con teaser that we saw like years ago of just like the proof of concept footage. I mean that sells the character right there without even having any dialogue. But I mean I'm still it's not like a, it's not like we're not gonna see Ant Man. And so I mean that's the takeaway there. It's just like yeah this is this is a trailer. It's not the most overwhelming overwhelming trailer, especially given a world where you know Ultron or Mad Max and a number of other things exist. Um, Furious Seven. Stands like yeah, all right. That's a, that's the first taste. So we'll see how this goes. I, I like the I like the marketing via like posters and like the lead up to the trailer more than the actual trailer. I would say with like the playing up the very small thing. Like I like the tra- the poster that's just like a dot that's like Ant Man, and like the the teaser trailer reveal which was just like just like super small screen. Su- right, exactly. Like that was a great like way to you know play up the joke on that one. I, yeah. I was enjoying that more than the like actual trailer. But you know it's fun. Like it doesn't you know. It's just a trailer. It's like whatever. Yeah, you know, it exists. It's out there. Corey Stoll's bald. I, I'm I mean, all, if you, he... I do like Corey Stoll being in it. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, friend of the show. Friend of the show, Corey Stoll. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, yeah, we we just say that. <laughs> but it's a, and it's a, it's an exclusive club. Yeah. There you go. So with that in mind, Ant Man <laughs> arrives in theaters July seventeenth, two thousand fifteen. Be there or be small. I think. And it comes out that. after Ultron. Yeah, yeah. Ultron's the end of Phase Two. Ant Man's the beginning of Phase Three. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. It's like graduation. It, it, it's just like it's just like Vitamin C's graduation. You're right. I, yeah. <laughs> When's the last time anyone heard that song? Probably at a graduation, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold guess, but yeah. Yeah. All right. That was an amazing reference, by the way. I gotta say. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we do it out now. <laughs> We bring the current. <laughs> All right. I think with that out of the way, it's time to get to our first review for the film Inherent Vice. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh- where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. You got a spare picture I could borrow? Ah! Mm-hmm. All right. So that should have been some of the trailer for Inherent Vice. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is back with an adaptation of the comic detective novel from Thomas Pynchon, Inherent Vice, uh, set in 1970s L.A. The film features Joaquin Phoenix as a P.I. hired on a number of cases, which all seem to be connected in their own way, but it doesn't matter all that much compared to just watching Phoenix's perpetually stoned character make his way in and out of a story that finds him coming into contact with a variety, a variety of characters, including Renaissance cop, cop, bleh, Renaissance <laughs> cop Bigfoot Bjornsson, there's a lot of like letters in that one to say. Uh, a saxophone player, an old girlfriend, government spooks, and more. Um, with all that in mind, start with Todd. Todd, what did you think of Inherent Vice? Well, I put it on my top ten, so obviously I thought uh, pretty pretty well of it. Um, you know, but what's really remarkable, you know, it's funny because I <clears throat> was thinking about I revisited the movie. I watched it three times. Uh, even before I had uh, had reviewed it because I was just so sort of enamored with it, but you know, everybody sort of compares the movie to, um, to, to big Lebowski. But to me, it's, it's more like Jackie Brown to me in that it's like sort of a hangout movie, which is, I think why a lot of people are not warming to it because they don't, uh, maybe initially realized that, quite frankly, the plot in and of itself, like what he's doing, what he's trying to find out, is largely sort of irrelevant. I mean, like it's not it's more about sort of him and the characters and how they inter- interact and relate to one another. And that's much more interesting and compelling than this mystery, which really 
it's like it's like the opposite of a normal mystery it's like one man without the truth like everybody else seems to know what's going on except for him um but i you know i find it to be like really sort of charming and at the same time um it has this like sort of insidious undercurrent in terms of its portrait of uh this sort of pivotal moment i feel like in american cultural history where we went from sort of a very um optimistic uh place of sort of hippie uh idealism to sort of succumbing to like sort of corporate uh culture uh overtaking sort of every aspect of american life and him sort of coming to that discovery incidentally while he's sort of investigating this it's incident and trying to figure out what happened to his ex-girlfriend, I think is a really interesting juxtaposition. And, and to me, that was kind of what I, I kept uh, marveling at every time I would watch it. I just, I, I, I was like more little details about him and these other characters and, you know, how, how they interact and, and who they are again, was always more interesting to me than, than, you know, the mystery of who the golden fang was. Cause they kind of just tell us at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it, he doesn't really do any like sleuthing. It's just like somebody's like, Oh, that's a boat. And then it's like, Oh, what does that mean? And then it just kind of, prog- you know, it's like the next time he has a conversation with somebody different, they go, Oh yeah, no, that's what that means. And, and so he's not, he, he is actually much more skilled, I would say, than like Jeff, Jeff Bridges Lebowski in that, you know, he can stand up for himself. He can figure things out. Like you talk about the pancake scene. Uh, you know, he has a sort of verbal showdown mm-hmm. with uh, with Bigfoot. And instead of sort of just being this like dumb guy who kind of obliviously goes past it, he sort of point he he comes back at him with something that's sort of an equal rejoinder to to uh, Bigfoot sort of insults and, and, and stuff like that. And you're kind of like, wow, this guy actually can do his job and he knows what he's doing. But uh, the, but again, sort of that juxtaposition between, um, you know, a mystery that doesn't necessarily have a have an easy or or satisfying resolution with a story about people who you know sort of go in and out of uh, lucidity anyway uh, i think it kind of complements one another and and provides an interesting counterpoint at the same time with that in mind did you read the book todd uh no no i did not i I don't even i don't know how to read so (laughs) john i believe you have read the book correct uh no (laughs) really you read a synopsis of the book. I think yeah. that's what you said you read the book. Oh, no, I just said that Pinchon's one of my favorite authors, but I actually have not read the book. Okay, well, with that in mind, what do you think of the film? Uh, I, I, I guess uh, I think it's better. It's more good than not good, but uh, it wasn't quite as awesome as I hoped. I think it's probably the least awesome PTA or, you know, the 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 least awesome and Anderson movie. I, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, as him being a director, I think is like the weakest part of this movie, maybe, which is something I would never say about any of his other movies. Um, but I actually think the, the actors and, and especially the writing uh, and kind of, especially the writing that you can tell is kind of uh, coming from, from a novel are kind of the most compelling parts of this instead of like, I mean, the master was kind of like the most pretty movie ever. And I just, I wasn't kind of like as astounded by the imagery for this movie. And I thought it was kind of slow here and there. Um, but that said, 
Uh, it's just got too many fun characters, too many uh, absurd meanderings to like not be entertaining here and there as well. So uh, it's not like a world beater for me, but it's also uh, I think was was a pretty entertaining watch as well. Um, and and kind of just kind of and especially fun living out in in L.A. and kind of like seeing the world that that they build a little bit there too. And I thought Todd actually cribbed it really well. If you're like going to defend the movie, I thought he did like kind of an excellent job of that where it's like maybe you, it's not supposed to have all the forward momentum. Maybe you're used to in a movie or something like that. But uh, even understanding that I did kind of, it, I definitely thought you could have maybe lopped off a little bit of its running time and, and made it a little tighter and, and and maybe it's not meant to be that way, but I think it hurt it a little bit for me just because it, it, there was some slowness in parts. And uh, but that, but then again, it, it's going to give us some of the better characters, uh, especially Joaquin Phoenix's Doc and uh, and Josh Brolin's just a hoot as as Big Orn. So I mean, there's some amazing characters. Martin Short shows up and kind of steals the show for a little bit. So it's definitely. It's definitely a fun, some somehow like both a fun romp and 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 some sometimes confounding and boring at this at other junctions for me. Have you seen it more than once? Just out of curiosity. Uh, no, no. I and it, I thought it was interesting that you kind of cribbed it in that way of what I, what would you knowing what you know after you watch it once? It'd be it de- you definitely watch it differently a second time if you're not searching for answers for sure. Yeah, and you know, I was going to say, you know, my my uh, my sort of Jackie Brown comparison. I say for my own sake, you know, the first time I saw Jackie Brown, and yet I'm telling you, I'm a person who saw Pulp Fiction five times the first week that it came out. I was like the biggest Tarantino fan, like in the world, when Jackie Brown came out, and I was not a huge fan of that. And and when I after I watched it, you know, a few times. I mean, now it's like. I think a masterpiece and just watching it, I like luxuriate in the details of the characters and everything. And I feel like, you know, somebody, I think Jordan Hoffman uh, for screen crush actually wrote a piece or maybe not for screen crush, but he wrote a piece last week about do some movies deserve multiple viewings for you to sort of get them. And I wonder, uh, you may or may not feel that way, but, uh, but I think it's kind of interesting that it's a movie to me that I feel like only sort of appreciates in, uh, sort of enjoyment when you watch it more than once and you and you don't have that kind of oh you know what's going to happen next kind of feeling the whole time people on the show know that i love jackie brown um, i i have a one of my favorite movies if not my favorite movie on a given day ever so it is a very apt comparison i feel because this is it does have the vibe of a of a hangout movie to an extent where it's much more interested in showing you these characters and letting them interact with each other and just kind of having also a plot in the background to an extent. And this, this movie, Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown's more of like, here's an hour of just letting us get used to these people. And then also here's a plot. Inherent Vice is just like, that's the whole thing through of just like, let's just get used to these characters. Also, you know, yeah, go here, doc, do that. Like it's that throughout the movie. And I really, I mean, I really enjoyed it the first time around. I've seen it twice at this point. And I do, th- and it. I hate being. I hate having to say something like, "You really got to see it another time to really appreciate it." And I'm not going to say that now because that's not necessarily fair. But at the same time, it, it there is more to glean from it as you watch it. It's a movie that definitely benefits from rewatch re, rewatching. I feel like I feel like there's a way to enjoy this movie the first time around and 
it can likely get better for you the second time around. But regardless, I, I did, you know, really enjoy this movie the first time around. Um, all of that in mind, I, I, I mean, the actors are terrific here. I love, I love Joaquin Phoenix in this role. Who's so, and like, I, and I used, to, I, I thought her, he was in her, he was very likable. This movie, he's somehow even more likable. And then, like, it was it, just the way he, he interacts with people, regardless of his, his nature, his, his, is the state that he's in, which is perpetually stoned or whatnot. I, I love watching this character interact with so many different people. Um, then you have this entire supporting cast, and I've talked about last week how I think Josh Brolin is absolutely terrific in this film um, as, as Renaissance cop Big Bill Bjornsson. So something I liked about early, like early PTA is that he had, certainly uh, Robert Altman was like a big kind of influence on the way he did his work, and I feel like that was maybe gone in the last couple films just because the kind of sprawling nature they had and much more in like Kubrickian territory with there will be blood for sure. Here it's kind of back where people are just over, overlapping with dialogue and whatnot, and like there's there's a whole scene of like um, of Joaquin Phoenix and um, and Josh Brolin where they're they're dealing with each other for like the first time in the film, and then like Benicio del Toro steps in, and it doesn't even it doesn't even feel like it's script. It just feels as if like Benicio del Toro just decided to walk into a scene and start interacting, and it just felt very natural. And that's what I get in a lot of this movie. Add to that, yeah, there's kind of there's this kind of layer of drama that I appreciated. There's a lot of other elements that involve kind of where the story takes us with Doc and his ex-girlfriend and the implications happening based on the times that these characters are living in. Like, it just, all this movie, I just, I was just a really big fan of. I just really liked, I liked, I liked being in this world, which is something that I'm very happy to say in a movie where, like, the story is not the thing that I'm promoting the most. It's just, I like this world that's being set up here, and whether that's been heavily detailed in Pynchon's novel where Paul Thomas Anderson just did a very good job of visualizing what he read in the book that he adapted. Like, I just, I really enjoyed what I was seeing here. Well, that's it. Abe, what did you think of the film? I basically don't have that much else in terms of opinion uh, from what you guys have said. I thought that it was a pretty good companion piece as well, um, but it does meander from here to there. I think that the most bored I got was uh, like the beginning of, or the end of the second act moving into the third act, and I was just thinking, wow, I that's only when I started feeling the length of it. Uh, but you're right, Aaron, that I think that it is one of those movies where I probably would want to watch it a second time, and that's not that's not a slight in any way. It's kind of more, more of a... The meandering part of it is just that the there was a lot of cases and a lot of mystery, like what Todd was saying. And at a certain point, I was just thinking to myself, all right, well, I'm just going to enjoy all these people that I'm seeing on the screen because there's a lot of screen chemistry with a lot of these uh, actors. And again, Josh Brolin, you guys have said it, and I'm, I just want to reemphasize that he is terrific in this movie. He's got uh, He's a frozen banana eating scene, which yes. lasts for a, quite a while. And I just, <laughs> my friend and I were like laughing so hard, people were, were starting to look at us. And then he's also got a, a doper's ESP scene with uh, Joaquin Phoenix toward the end, which was hilarious as well. So I'm just like, why did this happen? Joaquin Phoenix, I agree that he's very, very charming in this movie. Uh, you almost you're rooting for Doc, and um, even though he's stoned most of the time, there's there's bits and pieces here and there which shows his humanity in terms of you know instead of wanting money for drugs, he just wants uh, somebody to to go free and go back to some some of the people that that care for him. It is a strange movie. It is uh, kind of a movie that you might not like because you might not sense a, a strong plotline throughout it. But for the most part, I found it very enjoyable, very funny. And I also would think that uh, on second viewing, I might glean some more. But it certainly is not going to be for everybody, especially if it, this kind of goes back to Aaron's question uh, earlier, which is, you know, what do you think is a strange movie or what would you call a weird movie? 
Um, this isn't. I don't. I wouldn't call this one a weird movie, but it's not for everybody. Would you say it's more? And I'll ask this to John specifically too, or even and all of you guys. I'll opening it up to the panel. Oh, um, thanks. Would Would you guys say this is more or less successful than The Master? I think it's more accessible than The Master. Oh, definitely more accessible than yeah. Master. I mean, uh, I think the Master might be one of the top, like, ten most, like, I couldn't process my feelings at all after the Master <laughs> movies, like, ever. Like, this movie, at least you, you've you got kind of that comedy thorough line so that you can kind of keep going with it, even if it doesn't make sense to you or is a little weird. And I think that that helps, whereas the Master, I think, I, I mean, I, I don't know... There are not many people I could ultimately like recommend the master to. <laughs> you could still recommend this to people and they would enjoy parts of it, you know. It's funny you say that because I when I went home uh over the holidays I had I had a screener and I was talking to my dad about it and he's like, What's this movie, this Joaquin Phoenix movie? I'm like, I don't think you would like it. And he's like he's like, What is it? And I'm like, Well, it's like sort of a mystery. He's like, Well, I love mysteries and I'm like and I'm like, yeah, but it's not exactly. And I was like, but it takes place during the, you know, the early '70s in Southern California. He's like, oh, that's my era. And I was like, <laughs> all right, then watch it. Like, I mean, like, I would never try to actively discourage somebody. I didn't think that my dad would would like it. Um, but I, I do want to uh, sort of say before we move on, you know, the other night, just randomly, I decided to rewatch Chinatown. Um, just because I'd been wanting to watch it for like six months and I didn't have anything to do. And I sat down and, and it, it, it kind of surprised me how much, how many similarities I see between like, if you combine Chinatown and Jackie Brown, I feel like you would get inherent vice. Like in that, when you watch Chinatown, you're sitting there and you're like, this isn't about a character having like this very specific kind of arc or anything. It's not, like necessarily about his journey it's you know it's about this world that he lives in and about sort of yeah. reevaluating what's going on with him and around him from one scene to the next and i was kind of really surprised because that movie too is also sort of about a, a moment in history in you know in california and about how um there is this creeping corruption that that begins to infect culture and you know in society and, you know, and at the same time, like it's about a person who sort of in spite of his own sort of uh, self-absorption, be it because of, in this case, drugs or, you know, Jake Gittes case because of sort of his ambition, his personal ambitions, like he becomes sort of emotionally invested in helping this person, uh, you know, and and how that goes right and goes wrong. And I think that, you know, if you like Chinatown, I think that it 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 might be a good uh, primer for your attitude going in to watch Inherent Vice. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I can't guarantee, uh, as, or as Aaron said, you know, that you will necessarily like the movie better if you watch it multiple times. But, you know, sort of having an understanding of, of what the attitude and tone of it is, um, you know, and, and understanding that's as, as important, if not more important than like the plot machinery, uh, I think will uh, a- amplify sort of your your ad- appreciation and enjoyment for the movie. And then just yeah. to just to add into that, there's just knowing that this is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you know that there's probably a lot of subtle messages uh, that he's trying to put into the movie as well. And if you watch Magnolia or if you watch any of his other works, there's a lot of you know verses from the Bible that he puts in and whatever else. Um, so I know that there's probably more to it than meets the eye, which is uh, why I'm, I'm eager to watch it a second time. 
And the camera work in here is really, really well done, too. I mean, there's subtle things that, that Paul Thomas Anderson does. Benicio del Toro and uh, Joaquin Phoenix are having a conversation at this uh, lunch spot, uh, and the camera just keeps pushing into their faces as the conversation becomes increasingly more secret. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that he's doing. So it's not as though it's just a bunch of friends being on the screen. There's still a film. Oh, yeah, there's, being a, made. there's a level of professionalism. Yeah, here, exactly. Sure. And I mean, from a technical perspective, like a, a filmmaking perspective, yes. I mean, the the way he puts scenes together. John, I can understand what you're saying where compared to something like The Master, There Will Be Blood, which are as much visual experiences as they are, you know, uh, dialogue-driven features, which they're not really... Com- the master more so than there will be blood. There will be blood. I mean, that's, you know, 20 minutes of nothing for the first 20 minutes. So. But, I mean, I, I mean, this movie is definitely more focused on, like, people interacting with each, with one another, which is very much in line with kind of earlier PTA work with uh, Sydney and Boogie Nights. This film, yes, while it has... A, it's, it's a break from the the uber serious PTA that we've been seeing and back to kind of more comic rhythm form. It does, you know, it's, it's a very good looking film. It has a great soundtrack once again with Johnny Greenwood mm-hmm. doing the score assisted by a number of very, very cool tracks. I, I really like the soundtrack quite a bit. I was going to say, I just want to add in terms of the visual look, I mean, it looks like a movie that was made in 1970. Yes. And that to me yeah, I do is what's so too. impressive. I mean, I think about, I mean, you're talking about like the scenes where he's doing a lot of like pushing in and things like that, but you know, the scene where the scene that you mentioned earlier, where Joaquin and, and Bigfoot, I'm sorry, Joaquin and, and Josh Brolin go in and they have that first exchange. Mm-hmm. And there's these sort of like low angles shots of of uh, Bigfoot talking. And it has that sort of like washed out look that if yeah. you watched like Freebie and the Bean or you watched, you know, whatever. I mean, like when you watch movies in the 70s, they have this kind of like flat um sort of unassuming it's 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 not a it's definitely indisputably proficient but at the same time like it's unshowy and you know i feel like what's really remarkable if you watch the progression of paul thomas anderson's directing is that he he's much less showy than he used to be and yet he's no less effective and you know when you watch this and even the master i mean the he he worked with a different cinematographer than he ever had on uh, the master than he did on any of his other movies. He was reunited with Robert Ellswit for, for this Fair one. Advice, yeah. But you, you know, I mean, I think the master is a, a stunningly beautiful movie. Um, and yet it's so economic when, and it's in its choices. And this movie is the same way. I mean, you think about all these shots that like, I mean, there are sequences in this movie that have like extended tracking shots and things like that. But honestly, off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you one because I'm so absorbed in the storytelling that he's doing as a result of that camera work, as opposed to like when you think about like the shots in Magnolia where they're going down the street and they're cutting in on this and they're, you know, doing all this kind of stuff, uh, which is not to say that, that stuff isn't effective. It's just a matter of it being more of a flourish as opposed to like an, an integral part of the actual storytelling. Yeah. So, you, yeah I mean, you certainly like, obviously like with Boogie Nights specifically Scorsese he's been like a huge influence that people kind of like to name with PTA and that seems apparent there and Scorsese he can be a showy director at times and that seems that I mean that that has that early influence there this movie yeah I completely agree where it's there's there's a lot less going on in terms of kind of how slick PTA can be in a film but there's certainly plenty going on within the frame because of how he's choosing to make his film how to assemble the film and it's uh, I mean, I I don't know. I I guess I do I I do miss showy PTA. I guess I became 
a big PTA fan because of There Will Be Blood. I mean, I, I enjoyed Magnolia and Boogie Nights, you know, and Punch Drunk Love beforehand, but like, you know, There Will Be Blood was the jam. And then, like, I mean, in The Master, like, all my excitement centering around that were like these crazy shots that he had there. And so it's just kind of. It wasn't jarring, that's not the right word, but it's just kind of weird to like watch a movie of his now where, where like the directing didn't really matter to me. And uh, this will be an unpopular opinion alert, but it's like almost would have, like, I kind of came out of that movie and I was like, that movie actually like made me think that the book was like, would be awesome. <laughs> like, more <laughs> awesome than the movie. Cause like, I love Joanna Newsom's part because that was a, she was used as a device to use more of the Pinchon language, Mm -hmm. uh, and the narration. And I almost like wondered if I would enjoy the movie more if like, I just hired all these people to do like a table read of the book. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't know if you guys know this, but the, the way that he adapted this was that he literally adapted the entire novel line for line, start to finish. And And then then he started hacking away at it. (laughs) And I think that's pretty brilliant. I mean, like, it's one of those things where you, like, sort of dream of, of, of filmmakers doing that, because usually it turns out to be, like, some, they bring somebody in, and they just chop it up, and they go, oh, well, this story's not going to work. Let's cut that out. Like, he was reductive in his uh, in his editing efforts, and I think that it, like, gets at the essence of what the, I, like, his movie is communicating. I mean, I think about the scene between Owen Wilson and um, and Joaquin at the pier, and Owen Wilson is telling him this story about like session musicians in his band. And you realize that like, this is not important at all. I mean, like it's not important to his characters. You're not really like learning anything except that these are two stoned people who just feel compelled to include this information because they're stoned. And like, to me, there's something like really charming about that. I don't know. Like, it was one of those things because I know the first time I was like, why are they telling me this? What does this have to do with anything? And I, tur- and I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with anything. And yet I found it to be, you know, really fun to, to watch because it says because even though it's not like revealing so much of like their history in a, in a meaningful way, it reveals a lot about their characters in terms of what their priorities are and who they are, and what they're. You know, uh, and that's something that uh, uh, that I want to tag on too. Is just it's not so much that it's trying to throw red herrings at you. It's actually just people that are having conversations, and they're not trying to do anything tricky with the the storyline per se. It's just that this happened, and it it might seem out of place, but it's actually like what you had described. It's just a bunch of stoners having discussions. The word I'm here is that the Department of Justice is trying to broker a Vegas deal for him. Doesn't compute. Say again. Vegas Wolfen. FBI stuff. They need somebody else on the strip who's not Italian. You dig? Like Howard Hughes when he bought the Desert Inn. Howard Hughes was Italian. Which is what? all that it really is. There's, there's no, like, I should really pay hard attention to this. Uh, there are some things like that from here to there, just for you to understand the story in terms of, you know, there's like, there's a scene where Josh Brolin is trying to make Joaquin Phoenix choose one card. And, um, that in itself is funny, but when he reads the card, I was like, I don't know who this person is. Like, I don't know who he's, he's being asked to investigate right now. Well, it's hard I'm, to say too, like how much it's stoner and how much, like, I don't, I haven't, look to see how dense of a of a pinchone this one is but like his books are like 
generally massive, massive tomes of like non sequitur parts and stuff like that. So it's kind of. I mean, you guys have brought up the the fact that you think it meanders, and it is a two and a half hour movie. So I feel like it probably does a pretty good job of of representing the novel quite well. Probably. It's kind of fun. I think one of the more fun parts about the movie is just who PTA was able to get to kind of like tag in. I mean, nobody other than Joaquin really has like a super big part, and yet we get to see Owen Wilson, and and then uh, and uh, there's plenty of Bigfoot. There's plenty of uh, there's more there's more Benicio than I remembered when it's out the second time, actually. Yeah, but it's fun that like yeah he comes in, and then Reese Witherspoon has a really fun. Awful yeah, like, art. Even even I Jenna Malone is not Short. a throwaway character, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, again, the first like the first forty minutes of the movie had me laughing so hard, and there's great stuff with Benicio del Toro. And it's like, why is he dressed like a sailor? And then Josh Brolin's like, yeah, this isn't marine law. And I was like, oh, ha, ha. good job by you guys. I could add pirates to that if you like. <laughs> All right, we've been talking about this. Let's move on now. We gotta get. Let's get to the. We have two movies to review here. So with with that in mind, inherent vice. When would you guys recommend seeing this movie? I'll start with Todd. Uh, I mean, now. Yeah, I mean, it's on your top ten, so obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I, I love it. Uh, you know, it's, it's one that you know, like I said, I, I had the screener. I, I watched it. I've seen it twice in theaters and once on a screener, and, and I definitely, you know, I want to go see it. Uh, it's, I'm sure, showing in some places in 70 millimeter, which I would. Uh, wholeheartedly recommend um, seeing it because of the, the you know the picture quality and everything. But um, but see it as soon as possible. I love it. John, um, I think I, I'm still very positive on the movie, but I think people can. I don't think it's a movie that demands people go see it in theater versus maybe some of the other movies I've seen in in recent times. So I suppose I would say uh, rent it. But you know, feel free to like VOD rent it, so it's not like a one dollar rental recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's be- it's better than it's better than just paying a dollar. <laughs> I'd say just watch in theaters. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'd say, I mean, I, I I fully support what Todd said actually too. Yeah, if you can see it in seventy millimeter or just like on a on a film projector in general, that'd be awesome. I don't know how easy that is to come by these days, but. Um, certainly uh, one that I wholeheartedly recommend. It was on my top ten list as well, and I because I really love the movie. Um, okay, with all that in mind, I know John, you have to take off now, um, because you just haven't right. seen Selma, and um, and because we don't want you on the show anymore. I know, <laughs> John. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so John, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find my writing, especially if you're in the LA area, uh, more than ever now. I think this might be the first time I'm on the pod since I uh, got my new gig. It's BeverlyPress.com, and we cover Hollywood, West Hollywood, uh, Miracle Mile, Hancock Park. So kind of the uh, kind of that weird central region of of LA where you know. Away from downtown, away from the coast, but uh, kind of in Hollywood there. So uh, if you're into news, go to there. Woo! Woo! And for all your football updates on Twitter. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, for, 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 for sporadic uh, retweets of NBA people and for screaming at the Iowa Hawkeye basketball and football teams, I'm uh, at Sir John Van Dyke. Okay. Well, great, John. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's that's that. Now let's move on. Let's get to our next film review, and this will be for Selma. 
There are 70 million people watching. These pictures are going around the world. We must make a massive demonstration. White, black, and otherwise. Come to Selma. I heard about the attack of innocent people. I couldn't just stand by. Looks like an army out there. This revolution goes on and on. This revolution goes on and on. My eyes have seen the glory. When a man stands up, says enough is enough. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for Selma. Um, we now have a major theatrical feature about Martin Luther King Jr. Luckily, Selma does not want us to focus on all of MLK's life, but just instead a, a specific point, the uh, 1965 marches from Selma to Montgomery. Uh, director Ava DuVernay puts David Oyelowo, two great names right there to say, um, into yeah. the shoes of Dr. King as we watch a man deal with being an influential figure as well as just a human with some grand ideas as he works to secure equal voting rights. Um, with all of that in mind, sort of Abe this time. Abe, what'd you think of Selma? Abe, what? Uh, I thought Selma was a really well done movie. I think that one of the things that you had mentioned, uh, it's not specifically centered around Martin Luther King Jr. It, it for the most part, it is, but there's a lot of other characters that are in this movie that they do take the time to explore, such as uh, President Lyndon Johnson. And Tom Wilkinson does a great job. I think he has one of the 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 more um, uh, dramatic roles with Tim Roth uh, toward the end of the movie. And that part just made me fired up. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is exactly, uh, I'm pretty sure these are the conversations that happened behind closed doors. The other thing I liked about it is that it, it kind of didn't uh, make Martin Luther King, a, it made him a human being, let's say. It, it's uh, There were some questions about infidelity and whatever else. Um, and I know that wasn't really popular uh, at the time. And, I think that there were some releases of some uh, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis tapes, and she had said that, you know, he's got some philanderings going on, and people were like, well, that's in, that's not true. And um, they did bring that sort of to light here. And they also talked about some of his vices, which is, I don't know that Martin Luther King was a, a smoker, right? So, uh, but for the most part, it is very common in filmmaking. Ava, I don't know how many films she's made, but. Um, this seems like a very competent project. And one of the things I really, really liked about it is that it, it's not so much throwing it in the face of like, well, this is, uh, this is one particular view of things. It's, it's more of an assembly of characters and an assembly of thoughts, and it wasn't easy. There were some larger big-picture implications of it, um, meaning you know, I'm not going to march on Selma because it's exactly what uh, – people would have thought for us to do it's because it plays into a larger picture for us to get equal rights and equality and whatever else and i know that people are going to be hurt by this but i we have to try it because we need to be heard uh, by the federal government and by these two states uh, out here in the, out, out there in the south so on the whole it, it's more complex than it than it really was and uh, i'm glad that they were able to delve into it one of the things that i also would have been more interested in too is just how much the fbi was um, either for or against Martin Luther King Jr. It seems like uh, J. Edgar Hoover wasn't really in this, on the same page, and I would have been interested to see if there was some sort of uh, calamity here and there. And then just reading the post things at the end where they're describing where some of these people went, there was one character which I was very saddened to, to read about. It was just the, the one of the volunteers, and she was murdered on the way back driving to Selma, and that was just very unfortunate. And, Again, this is not something that that people should take lightly. It's very serious. It's a, these are real accounts, and uh, in terms of being apt for today, yes, it is apt for today. Uh, and I think that it's just I don't know. 
I feel as though it's it's not something that you have to force people to watch, but if you watched it, good on you. And I think that it it's doing very well, so it's doing uh, probably some some good business. But in terms of the morals that it's uh, putting across, um, I do think people should take a look at it. Todd, uh, you know what I I mean uh, I loved it. I didn't put it on my top ten. Um, I think just because there were other things that I uh, sort of maybe more conspicuously loved more more quickly but uh, but Ava DuVernay does a really amazing job of of like chronicling this uh event in history this sort of like really important moment uh in a way that I feel like is um you know very human and identifiable and not rhetorical in any way you know um I feel like you're not watching <clears throat> you know the beats of of history being sort of read to you or dictated um, as much as you are sort of experiencing um, the idea that um, that Martin Luther King, although he was obviously sort of um, in comparison to, say, other uh, black leaders of the time like Malcolm X, you know, he was less incendiary. He was not a person who was afraid to strategically put himself in harm's way in order to try to accomplish his goals, which is to say that, you know, they, the the uh, you know, I was reading the review that um, the guys on Film Drunk wrote, and they were sort of observing, uh, I think very astutely, that, that um, you know, it's easy for a movie about people marching or, you know, doing a protest to be sort of locked arm in arm and it be this sort of, you know, noble, beautiful kind of thing. And and the what's great is that this movie sort of has that, but it also has the idea that, these guys know they're putting themselves in harm's way because what happens is when the media reports on it, then, you know, people uh, who are both uh, black and white are going to have to sort of bear witness to the violence that these people endure in the name of uh, earning equal rights. And, you know, and, and I think that's what makes it an especially prescient movie is that, you know, like, you know, when all this stuff happened in Ferguson and with Eric Garner in New York, um, I think there is a feeling, I mean, as a, I, I, I was like, I'm as a white male, I was like, for me to feel completely helpless in these situations, I can't imagine how a person who lives in those cities who has to deal with that would feel. And, and, and it's kind of interesting to me that, that we think about the way protests are now and we're like, there is a sort of media attitude that they are like disruptive and problematic. Whereas, you know, then they were disruptive and problematic, but they were, but they got results and they, and they changed things and they, they forced the hands of people like LBJ and other people to, to make the changes that, that, you know, uh, earned people the kind of equality that they deserve. And all this sort of, uh, you know, sort of political stuff notwithstanding, what the movie does is, it doesn't put that on the forefront. It just makes it about these human people and the choices that they make to accomplish their goals. And, and it becomes a really powerful story, uh, just by itself. And then, and then it gains this additional resonance and meaning with the, with the history underlying in all those decisions. It's hard to keep repeating the same thing. So I want to try not to just because, I mean, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, and I certainly really love this film as well. It was, it was on my top 10 list. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, just coming at it from, like, a basic level, I think the movie's so well made from just a directorial standpoint, given the amount of times you had to put this whole thing together. Uh, the acting across the board is pretty pretty 
ranges from fantastic to pretty great. Uh, David Oyelowo does a, a very good job as Martin Luther King, who and I described this last week on the podcast. It's not that he like he really like you don't you don't look at David Oyelowo and think, oh man, this guy looks like Dr. King. You should play him, but it's just he he's able to capture the kind of essence of that of that personality of that of, of who King was. Where you know it's not necessarily like a spot-on impression, but you really you feel like he studied this role in the right ways to get the, the the little quirks and nuances and details about who this man is and how he you know presents himself and how he and you know how he's still you know human in all of this. Like it's it's one thing to you know portray someone that has such a grand stature in American history, um, but it's another thing to really kind of capture this person as a human being and i think yellow does that well i mean along with you know how what the screenplay how the screenplay serves him in all of this i think that does a great job there um i can say the same about tom wilkinson i think he does a very good job as lbj and even you know the smaller roles like carmen Ajo- carmen Ajogo? that's hard to say um uh, she as a coretta as coretta king uh just there's things about these performances that make the film you know it makes it work it makes it not feel like a history lesson like i think that's kind of the trepidation some people might have with a film like selma where it's just like oh i gotta see a martin luther king film i'm just i'm just gonna learn stuff and not be entertained by it i it's not about it whether it's you know entertaining or not i do think it is an entertaining film but i think it does the way it approaches its storytelling yes there are dramatic moments and there are things that can make people emotional or there are things that reflect history in a way where it can be upsetting or frustrating or not even the most like i need i need to keep watching this type feeling it's more of like yeah, this stuff like this happened, and it's being captured on film. But I do think Eva DuVernay, I think she does a very good job of kind of assembling this picture, make, making it work as a as a piece of film that you know you can you can watch and reflect upon, but also find you know things about it that make it one that seems like, hey, this was worth watching in a the theater. I'm glad I did this. Mm-hmm. I, and um, to go with that, yes, I mean the movie does have a lot of timely aspects to it, given what's being tackled in this film and what we're seeing. And you know today's state of affairs in America, uh, which we've we've discussed already. But I mean, what I really I, I really like getting back down to it's kind of the human elements. Like this movie, it reminds me a lot of like of Lincoln. Um, I think yeah, for, for yeah, obvious same here. reasons. Yeah, and and you know, due to you know the way it kind of takes a slice of history as opposed to all of Lincoln's life, but even in just the way it kind of treats the characters, where Daniel Day Lewis, yes, he's playing Abraham Lincoln, another character, another American historical character that you know has a level of grandeur to him when you say the name Lincoln, but the way he kind of made that work, it functioned as portraying him as a human being that, you know, isn't always necessarily right or, you know, doesn't have to make grand speeches every 10 seconds. He's just, you know, a person that's talking. And what's funny is that the first scene of that movie features David Oyelowo um, as a, as a union soldier, union soldier who's discussing, just discussing, you know, terms about the kind of state of living and the pay, rates for the, the black soldiers and they are in the you know fighting in the civil war and what i like about that scene it's not going to lead into the whole hey he finishes the the uh the, the gettysburg address speech at the end that's you know whatever it's the way they talk to each other in that scene where lincoln is basically bullshitting. he's he's kind of they're like david yellow is trying to bring up something and lincoln can't necessarily do anything about it so they just kind of get into a random conversation and there's a lot of that in this movie. There's obviously, you know, there's the big pivotal stuff that happens and whatnot, but there's a lot of just kind of scenes where people can't necessarily do something about something and they just right. instead have another conversation. And I like those. I like a lot of those movies. I like the beginning of this movie where, Link, where uh, Lincoln, where Martin Luther King, he's about <laughs> to accept his Nobel Prize and he's like practicing his speech and he's trying to get his tie ready. And Ascot. Ascot. And, and Correa King comes over and she just kind of helps him out and they have like casual conversation. It's a movie where... 
you're not watching just you know a history channel documentary about a subject you're watching people interact with each other even the same with like martin luther if uh, malcolm x is played where you're not saying like look it's mal it's Ma it's malcolm x let me repeat yeah. all of his ideals it's no like let's have a conversation and this movie is full of all of that and i it's things like that that make me just made this movie just really stand out to me and again there's just conversations and they're just humans on the screen it's not as though it's that it's not with rose-colored glasses because there were arguments within the community or within the group itself. Like I didn't know that the Snick guys, they you know half of them were gonna be out of it, and then one, only John Lewis is gonna be a part of it. Also, John Lewis, the cast of John Lewis, the guy looks exactly like young John Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they also did a really good casting on on the other stuff. You mentioned all these small other side characters. There's an FBI agent played by. Uh, or just a government worker played by Alessandro Nivola, Nivola, and uh, he's very good too. And people don't really recognize him, but he's he's cat or he's Pollux Troy from Face Off. Yeah, Jurassic Park. He's in the most violent year actually as well. He's a role is he? There, okay. Yeah. yeah, but there's all these small roles that are done very well. Giovanni Ribisi does a very good job um, as an aide to to uh, LBJ. Uh, again, Tim Roth is very good. I, uh, I enjoyed the small amount of Oprah in this movie as opposed to the Butler. Where I thought like. The, the butler where i'm was, glad it, i didn't watch the butler so i have no comparison it's not that i like it because i i liked the Butler. i didn't love the butler but i mean it what it's it that that's a movie where it felt like once oprah joined they made her role bigger this movie just feels like she's in it just enough and yeah I, it, I wonder what old don will say when i tell him one of his gals down here stirring a fuss i ain't stirring no fuss i'm just here trying to register the vote recite the constitution's preamble you know what a preamble is we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. How many county judges in Alabama? 67. Name them. Given what she's... Do you see what I'm saying, Todd? Do you know what I'm trying to say with that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because yeah. she's like, she has a she's representing a certain figure and like what's going on at the time and whatnot. And I feel like in, in a, in a lesser movie, it's like, well, we got Oprah, we got to play up that presence and they don't right. do that here, which I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. It, no, I, I think they do. They populate it with the characters. Uh, they populate it with the people uh, from history, but they don't overstate their, um, their presences. I mean, you know, like it was interesting. They have that moment with the uh, Mahalia Jackson where, Martin Luther King calls her in the middle of the night and you kind of go, well, did that really happen? And then they, and then they do a, a, like an over, uh, like a sort of like a title on the screen that says like, we have a transcript from, you know, an FBI wiretap that says that he did call. Now, do we know that she sang him a song? We don't know, but we know that there was that, that call was made. And, the, but the thing is like when that call happens, he calls her and we don't know who that is. And yeah. she sings. And, you know, and I think that like the movie does a really great job of not name dropping. And I think that's what you're what you're getting at yeah. is that like, you know, Oprah plays a character who was a person who who was, you know, did the things that that character did. But they don't make her uh, like a martyr in the middle of uh, of the movie where it's like, well, this is the most important thing. Like you see a young man you know, who's fleeing a riot, a police riot, uh, or a riot against, uh, protesters, you know, run to a restaurant, he gets shot. And, you know, unless you really know that history, they don't go, well, that's right. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they yeah. don't give, they yeah. don't, you know, overemphasize the names of the people. I mean, I think like 
you know, you mentioned Malcolm X. Like, I think there's only, if I'm not mistaken, there's only, I've only seen it once and it was a little while ago, but it's like, there's only a scene where he's like walking up to talk to them. It's not even like they have like, well, we're going to have this like, you know, uh, come to, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment where they have this like huge argument showdown. It's like, oh, well, you know, this is how we handle this guy as as a as a as a partner in our our, our goal yeah it's it's one scene and it's not even with king it's with uh, it's, with, it's uh, with his wife yeah and it's it's one and like you she, he has to it's done in a, it's done in a, in a really well good way i really enjoyed that scene because it, it, it it's able to state who king who who malcolm x is without directly doing it and then the next time you hear of him he's been assassinated like that like it doesn't it's right. not it's not trying to show it's like it's not going on any tangents it's not going out of its way to really fill you in on all the details you need. It's giving you the essence of one scene, one interaction, and then it moves and on. And not only that, I mean, it, what it also adds is it also adds that Coretta Scott King was a part of this as yeah. well. Oh, she's yeah. not yes. she's not just, uh, you know, the wife at home kind of thing. She was involved in some of these discussions, even though she fretted for her family quite extensively and very rightly so. It's not as though she was a, a, a back burner character that just stood by her husband and looked looked nice for photos. It, she actually did do a lot of things while he was jailed. She had to probably take on some of these things, much to her chagrin, I'm sure. That's, I mean, that's a good point. You also brought up that you know the, there's a lot of other characters behind the scenes with Dr. King. They don't all agree with each other, and it's great to see that. It's great to you know it's not it's not just about like. Look how I mean, look look how great blacks are while the whites are horrible. Like it's not that kind of movie. It's it's showing you just it's showing you a lot of different layers within the same you know the same camps and whatnot. Yeah, and I and that, I, I, that's yeah. basically my point about it's not just about Dr. Martin Luther King. It, it is mostly about the the movement and uh, his march from someone to Montgomery. But there's a lot of other people that were involved in it. It's not as though it's saying. Dr. Martin Luther King did this single-handedly, and it went off without a hitch. There were a lot of problems. There were a lot of internal struggles. Like bunk again, from the every wire. bunk from the wires there, and like again, it was not easy. And that's one of the best things about this movie. So it it, it did remind me a lot of Lincoln too. It's slice of life. Um, it's not about the entire presidency, and it was just about how hard it was for him to get past the Thirteenth Amendment. Um, even though he himself had some struggles, I, I think Mark Hoban brought this up during our Lincoln review. But he's like, you know, he had a discussion with one of the uh, the persons who worked at the White House, and it's like he didn't he doesn't exactly address her the most splendidly, um, like President Lincoln doesn't exactly address her the most splendidly. So even though he is seen as the emancipator of of uh, the slaves, yeah. yeah, it's not as though he had some. Uh, he probably had uh, other feelings as well with that in mind abe i mean you've seen the movie now and i know it's only been mm-hmm. a little while to have would you would you addendum your top 10 to include this in some way I, I it's hard for me to say that it's not one of those that it knocks me off of my seat kind of thing and says i have to put it into the 10 i i'm not sure yet because i thought about that after i watched it too and like in terms of what you had said earlier with uh, todd as well it's in terms of you know your favorites versus what's really good um I don't think that I would amend my top ten, but it's in like the top twelve. Okay. Well, it's early, and it's certainly a movie that you recognize as being very, very good. <laughs> yes, it is. Again, competently made, but also the story is very, very well done. Okay. Well, I want to move on just because we've you know been going long as it is, and we already have two reviews here. So um, with that in mind, I feel like we could all just say go see Selma, right? I think that's a yeah. common thing. We can yes. Say, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, in a world where Taken Three makes forty million dollars in a weekend and Selma only makes eleven, it's like, all right, well, someone, some people were winners this weekend. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, 
So that's it. Let's uh, let's go to our sponsor real quick. Uh, each week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com. Podcast. There are over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 player. Um, I did not find a specific book, but I can just assume that there are a lot of Martin Luther King Jr. books you could probably find. Um, so you can check out audibletrial.com. Podcast and look up Martin Luther King Jr. and I'm sure you can find something or anything else that you'd want. Yeah, um, yeah we are, you know, if you go to audibletrial.com says that a podcast you can get a free audiobook download there's a free 30-day trial that comes with that if you don't like the service you can get rid of it but you get to keep the book that you downloaded for free for free anyway so with all that in mind be a winner read Yay. or listen audibletrial.com says that a podcast okay <laughs> let's uh let's move on now let's uh let's get to out now feedback 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 this is, of course, where we go over some of the questions and answers that we got on our Facebook page, facebook.com. Uh, real quick stuff, just because we already had two reviews going, so I just had two questions, and we have one question asked to us. Uh, yep. But, Abe, you want to start that one off? Absolutely, yeah. So the first question we asked everyone is, what is everyone's favorite Tal- Paul Thomas Anderson film? Uh, Manish writes, Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love. I recently joined their, the There Will Be Blood bandwagon also. Jose, friend of the show, writes, uh, PTA is my great uh, cinematic blind spot. The only PTA film I've seen is Punch Drunk Love, so I guess that's my favorite. I may have to add catching up on PTA's filmography to my resolutions for 2015. Yeah, I, I was shocked to hear this from Jose. I know. And he will not be on this podcast. Until he well, uh, <laughs> um, the Legend of Korra one, though, that's a different story. For sure. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a huge Punch Drunk Love fan, that, I, I, and Boogie Nights used to be like my de facto favorite, but I'm kind of every time I think about Punch Drunk Love, like I think I like this the most of his films. Mm. Um, Todd, what do you? What's your favorite PTA film? Uh, well, Boogie Nights is my favorite movie of all time. There you go. So, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. it is. It is my favorite of his movies. But uh, you know, I mean, but like you know, Magnolia was on TV like two weeks ago, and I just sat down, and it was you know more than an hour before the end, and I was like, I'll watch this for five minutes while I drink a soda and next thing i knew like the movie was over you know i mean like i love magnolia <laughs> and punch drunk love is i think such a remarkable underrated movie yeah. and yeah. you know i mean i think you know people are 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 more dismissive of it in the context of his other movies and maybe understandably so but i mean like it's a movie uh where not like not unlike the master or even uh, inherent vice where there's so much more going on than you than you think that there is i mean in terms of just its execution i mean you know i the fact that there's i think a, a lens flare in every single shot of the Take movie jj abrams yeah exactly <laughs> you know i mean like i just love that you know and and i love the way that it's done and it's so sweet and it's funny how you know that movie in particular you think about how now the idea of sort of the manic pixie dream girl has become like kind of a cliche and how that movie could sort of in a very broad, I think in reductive way, be sort of lumped in with those where we'd be like, Oh wow. Great. Like a, if only, you know, uh, like introspective white guys could find, you know, perfect girls, you know, and, and not have to change at all. And they find somebody to completely accept them, you know, which is what every one of these movies seems to have become for these like young romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. And yet there is, again, there is a real complexity. There's a pain to Barry's existence, which this woman, because of her upbringing and not having any siblings, like, provides this like really uh like encouraging supportive counterpoint to that you find that you know becomes like a real believable sort of chemistry between these two people it's 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 really amazing i mean it's just a it's a gorgeous movie and it's a and it's a wonderful movie but i mean 
Boogie Nights, I would say, having, I mean, I saw that, how many times, I saw that movie like 14 times in the theater, so, hmm. so, so it is, it 14 is one. 14 times? That, yeah. Wow. During, during its initial run, I saw it 12, and then I've seen it Good. since then wow. a couple more times, so. Good on you. One yeah. quick note about uh, uh, Magnolia. If you want to see John C. Riley in a dramatic role, watch Magnolia. He's really good in it. Magnolia, yeah, he's like he's the epitome of like teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean like yeah, I mean like when I, he loses his pistol, that part still makes me say like when he's you know looking for it. But yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, the next uh, what we got? the next question here we have is uh, what do you like to see in biopics in terms of guys' style, structure, casting, etc. And uh, Alessandro answers, I find myself preferring movies that focus on a specific event or period in a person's life, like Invictus or Lincoln. And that shows what kind of person he was rather than a three-hour epic that tries to cram in his or her entire life story. You should go watch Selma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Manish has, um, I prefer strong narrative and actual movie direction over a visual history book. Sure, it's nonfiction, but that doesn't mean it can't be stylistic and creative. Uh, it's, it's funny we mentioned that. I, Todd, have you seen uh, Mr. Turner? Uh, you know, I started watching that. I was I was in the process of cramming for the LA Film Critics vote, mm-hmm. and I sat down to watch that. And I got about 25 minutes in, and I was like, I'm not going to have time. I'm not going to make it through this because I, I love Mike Lee, but that was a movie that I just found so, such a sort of slog in a way. Um, I, I like. There's a part of me that wants to go back and rewatch it, but you know, unfortunately, I don't. Right now, I don't feel altogether compelled to like make the time for it. Yeah, it's the because I I did see it uh, this past. Um, week and I, I actually really liked it, but I think it do, it's a, it's the kind of movie where it does help to be in a theater where you're kind of closed off from distractions and yeah and I, I mean I believe that yeah because it's you know it's a two and a half hour film about a guy that paints and yes he has quirks it's Timothy Spall and he basically plays him as a pig like that's the kind of the he grunts and all of his grunts mean different things it's it's humorous in some <laughs> way but it's also it's it's hard to say yeah that was an entertaining joy of a blast of a film but I mean it's I bring it up because it's a, it has a it it fits the style of biopic where it is very much invested in the character and it does a lot of things that biopics don't traditionally do where it's not necessarily providing you with the here are all the major points and here's big flags of when this thing happened and when this thing happened and instead it tries to it shows you how his kind of style of painting evolves based on just kind of dialogue and what you're seeing visually. I mean, the movies, by the way, like Dick, Dick Polk's cinematography in that film is tremendous. Um, but it's 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 the kind of hard one where it's like, I can't say like, man, everyone should go see Mr. Turner. But at the same time, it's like, there's a really good movie here that you maybe need to be in a certain mood for. And yeah, having a theater where you're closed off from everything around you and you can just sit and enjoy something like this to the extent that you can, you know, a two and a half hour drama about mm-hmm. J.W.M. Turner. But uh it, it certainly it kind of fits this kind of this this preferred version of a biopic where it's not like just highlighting like point after point after point, which is something like the, I think the closest example I can think of is Mandela, where Idris Elba and Naomi Harris they did a good job as Nelson Mandela and Winnie Mandela in that film, but I mean it's two and a half hours of trying to cram everything in about the man's life, and for one thing you can't do that unless you're you know the best filmmaker ever given all the things he accomplished, but. It's hard to be sit, sit, and just kind of watching to see like kind of standard things happen of like and then he did this and then this happened and then drama beat and then oh like my moment of triumph like this this kind right. of bullet points. So seeing films like Selma, seeing film like Lincoln or even this Mr. Turner, like it does a really good job of kind of pointing out certain aspects of their lives that you know matter without making it into kind of a, into a history lesson essentially. Mm-hmm. All right. We had, okay, so that's our answers there. We do. Yeah. yeah. And then we had a question that Jose asked us, uh, which uh, we'd like to hear Aaron and Todd speak about. 
and myself as well. Uh, what spring TV premieres are you guys looking forward to, both returning shows and new premieres? Um, I mean, Game of Thrones will come back, Veep will come back, Silicon Valley coming. I mean, HBO. Is doing, <laughs> <laughs> they do their thing. Pretty much, yeah. Veep and Archer's back on. <laughs> Archer's back on now. And then, you know, it's yeah. winter. So. Yeah. Um, you do much TV, Todd? Uh, not a whole lot, but I mean, like I was going to say, you know, basically I agree in that, uh, that, you know, mine, mine tends to run to, uh, to HBO and stuff like that. I mean, those are the, those are the shows that I'm most excited for when I heard, I guess yesterday or the day before that they had announced a, uh, you know, the, the season, season five premiere for Game of Thrones. I was very excited. Trying to think of new stuff that's coming. I mean, there's, I mean, there's there's stuff coming on like now like tonight like the new duplus brothers show togetherness that's on hbo that's on hbo it's, HBO. it's basically hbo <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but let's see let me, let me see if i can find something real quick backstrom looks kind of interesting yeah uh, i like rain wilson, wilson. Like, i'm yeah. curious to see what he does post i was gonna uh, what happened to the fox show with um uh i want to say mcgruber i can't remember his name mcgruber oh, being oh, the well, last name yeah, yeah, well, comes, oh yeah that looks great yeah is, oh it's march okay like march. the last man on on earth. the last man on earth and it's from um it's a collaboration between Will Forte and Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, of course, oh, nice. love. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no problem there. You know, actually, no. You know, there's the uh, the Netflix Daredevil show. I'm very curious about. I'm very curious where that's going to be. There's a trailer that I didn't watch for that yet. It's not really. A, it's more of just like, here's the poster. It's movies. Oh, okay. Like that's the trailer for it. But yeah, the that is one I'm very interested. in. I'm curious to see how that goes. And of course, there's the final season of Mad Men's coming as well. So, all right, uh, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And now. Abe, I Uh-oh. think it is time for the 2015 return of games. That was majestic. I thought so. That was, yeah. of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a, I, in my mind, this game sounded very cool to me. Um, of course, and Todd, this is your first time playing games with us. Basically, Abe and I come up with a new game every week uh, to, to both challenge and perplex the other parties involved. Um, this one might work really well. It's called You Speechifying Over There. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So basically, because Selma, which does not feature any of Martin Luther King's speeches because they're trademarks, um, which was interesting to learn after the fact. It's like, huh, I didn't yeah. hear any of his speeches. Um, I have a game where I've basically assembled a lot of famous movie speeches, and I'm going to read them and one at a time. Movie and, speeches, okay. Yes. And if you can figure out what the movie is or who's saying it or something along those lines before I finish said speech, you get a point. Okay. So just feel All free right. to shout it out because some of these are longer than others. Let's do All it. Right. So like one of this first one might be pretty easy just to kind of set the tone for it, but then from there on it might get a little harder. Okay, so here we go. Here's the first one. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft Babe. from here. Yeah. Uh, Independence Day, Bill Pullman. <laughs> yes. You got yes. Wow. Best presidential speech. I said good morning in less than an hour, and you got it. That was, that was yeah. impressive. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking that Todd was going to get on it. <laughs> I was like, i got to jump in. I was waiting to get to – I, I, I want to get to the one sentence because I want to say, and you'll be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Pause. Mankind. Yeah. mankind. <laughs> that word should have new meaning for all of us today. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. So, yeah, feel free to just yeah, jump in, shout your name to buzz okay. in. And yeah. all, all right. right. Here we go. Here's the next one. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> yeah. Rocky Six. Rocky Balboa is, yeah. Yeah, Rocky Balboa. Wow. Okay. 
Come on, Todd. Okay. <laughs> what you got? Here we go. So now, okay, now these I'll... might get tougher. All right. Um, the tougher ones, I'm not so good with, Todd. Just okay, really being honest. Okay. Well, I'm not doing too well so far yeah. anyway. So. Okay. Here we go. Now, this is another thing I want you to remember. I don't want to get any messages saying that we are all holding up our position. We're not holding anything. Let the Hun do that. We're advancing constantly, and we're not interested in holding on to anything except the enemy. We're going to hold on to him by the nose, and we're going to kick him in the ass. We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time, and we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. The Huns? Hmm. Mm. That part throws me off. Because I have so many more. That was from Patton. Ah, I, I was like, the Hun. Yeah, it sounded the like... Hun. Some... I said, let the Hun do that. But oh, okay. Regard, yeah, okay. here we go. This is a all short right. one. I wish I could say something classy and inspirational, but that wouldn't ju- that just wouldn't be our style. Pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. Chicks dig scars. Ugh. I actually know this, and I Could, describe know, the who, movie. You know who said it? Uh, oh my god. Pain heals, chick dig scars. I wish I could say something classy and inspirational, but that just wouldn't be our style. I feel like it's I, I don't know it but I feel you're like, gonna freak when you know it I know exactly that's what I was gonna say I was like I, I, I don't know this right now but I feel as though I'm gonna like it was of course the immortal Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco in The Replacements oh my god I actually <laughs> yes. did know that oh that's terrible I know. <laughs> that's terrible it's worse that I know it than uh, yeah <laughs> you know it you don't know it Shane Falco okay. I didn't know Patton but I know the freaking replacement yeah <laughs> Gene Hackman's good movie. is a movie that I could watch like anytime it's on TV. It's like, yeah, all right. It's fun. Like, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It is. Uh, Gene Hackman with a mustache, you know. Yeah. It's <laughs> the things you point out. Uh, okay. Here we go. Here's the next one. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a, you miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble Abe? football, yeah. Uh, Denzel Washington, Remember the Titans? It is Remember the Titans, and that was okay. my Denzel Washington impression. I know that you, if you had done your Denza, it would have been, like, crazy, right? I was doing but for a speech, that was a pretty good Denza. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Moving on, moving on, moving on. I'm doing real good so far. <laughs> you had one, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After go. you told me, I definitely had it. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Hey. Yeah? Uh, Maximus. Wow. You Buddy. know his speech? Jesus. <laughs> Oh my god. We did not rehearse this. <laughs> no, we did. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. If you put in your effort and concentration into playing your, to your potential to be the best, I can let me say that. Let me oh, Jesus. Okay. I said all punctuations all over the place. Let me try again. If you put your effort and concentration into playing your, to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. In my book, we're going to be winners. Mm. I'll give you a hint. One of the actors I just mentioned. Abe. Yeah, Hoosiers. It's Hoosiers, yes. That's right. <laughs> I was like, where <laughs> else would they... 1986, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one might be a giveaway. Let's see. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what we have earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might oh, win not. Yeah, yep. I got it. Yep. Sparsity Blues. It's not Varsity Blues. Oh. It's not Varsity Blues. Oh, my God. I don't know. It's some, it's some football movie. I'll get to the – let me get to the last sentence. You or might is it a baseball it. movie? Let me get to the last sentence. All right. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is oh. your time. Now go out <laughs> okay, there and well, take it. What did you say? Todd, you got well, that this That would one. be miracle, It would right? be miracle. That's yeah, correct. Okay. I think Todd should still get that point. I, I gave him that point. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing 
is that like the speech that that uh, what's his face gives in Varsity Blues is it's very similar. Yeah, of course, all these speeches are very similar. Yeah. So what, it's like, yeah, it's from Star Wars. I'm just gonna keep saying that until it's right. <laughs> okay, here we go. A few more. Okay. Hold your ground. Hold your ground, sons of Gondor of Rohan, my brothers. I see. Well, which, which, well it's, it's, it would be from uh, Return of the King. That is correct, yes. Okay. <laughs> Here's the next one. Also very similar. Children, gather around. No retreat, no surrender. That is Spartan law. And by well, that would Spartan, be 300. That 300. <laughs> See, yes, if you include like the character or the destination right, or the yeah. name of the movie thought, in it, I will I will remember. You're like all 300 of us will work together. And like, at the end of that quote, yeah. <laughs> I thought about, like, I thought about oh, that's Gladiator, right? I thought about either blanking out those parts or like putting in different. <laughs> that, would, that would have been more confusing. Yeah. I know. Okay, here's the next one. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to look each other in the eyes. I want you to put each other in your hearts forever because forever is about to happen here in a few minutes i want you to close your eyes and i want you to think about booby miles who is your brother I, he would die to be out there in that field with you tonight and i want you to put that in your hearts boys my heart is full my heart is full booby miles i mean like, i thought that was the giveaway and I, 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 you're also doing an accent mm -hmm. booby miles uh a giant friend of the show is associated with this abe a giant friend of the show, like the original friend of the show? No. The one that's constantly mentioned. That won't help Todd at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no. Boomer Miles. Um, there is a TV series inspired by this film. Oh, hey, Friday, Friday Night Lights. Friday, Todd said it. I Friday think Todd Night. got it, yeah. <laughs> See, I, was, I was gonna say Friday Night Lights, but I was like, no, that's a TV show. Yeah. And so. Uh, Billy Bob gave a speech. Okay, two more. Here we go. We're going to go inside, we're going to go outside, inside and outside, we're going to get them on the run, boys. And once we get them on the run, we're going to keep them on the run. And we're going to go, 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 go. We're not going to stop till we get across that goal line. This is a team that they say is is good. Well, I think we're better than them. They think they can't lick us, so what do you say, man? <laughs> Imagine I was only standing like five foot five when I was saying that speech. Five foot five. Uh, Abe, Little Giants. Nope. Uh, it wasn't the icebox. Yeah, I don't know. It's Rudy. It's a Rudy. Speech. Rudy. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Rick Moranis is like five five two. I know. Last one. <laughs> Last one. This might be, might be the best speech of them all. What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing's over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. And it ain't over now because when the going gets tough. Oh yes, yes, I know. This is from Animal House. It is Animal House. That's correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That one I know. Good job, Jide. Involve anything involving drinking, I, I definitely know. <laughs> well, Todd came on strong at the end. I there. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Well, we have a tie, guys. Oh, whoa, 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 tie! <laughs> I've never been involved in a tie before. I don't think you have, Abe. <laughs> oh. Okay, so I'm get so obviously the way to determine the winner of a tie. I'm going to look up the box office total of a speech I didn't use any given Sunday. Okay. And you're both going to guess what any given Sunday made domestically. Okay. I want to say uh, I think that it was kind of a hit. I My gut's saying $46 million. Todd, what <laughs> would you say any given Sunday made? Uh, well, that's about what I would say, too. Uh, but I would, uh, I'll, I'll go a little lower. I'll say 40 Oh, you should have went over. 
It made $75 million domestic. 75 Yeah. What? People want to see what's People apparently a two-hour and 37-minute movie. I did not realize it was that long. That is wow. a movie. That was a lot. Okay. Any given time. Yeah. So, Abe, that makes you the de facto winner. Of- I'm going to share this with you, Todd. You know, because if, if we can change. <laughs> <laughs> a quote I very much considered using, but I thought that was too easy. <laughs> I got the Sunshine and Rainbows one. So <laughs> yeah, you got that one. <laughs> okay. So that's games. That's You speech you find over there. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's do a little Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, streaming this week. And we got a few here. We have Gone Girl. Go see it. We have yes. A Walk Among the Tombstones, which... Uh, Aaron says it's not that great. It, no, I, I like Walk Among the Tombstones. Okay. It's, a, it's a hell of a lot better than Taken 3. That's for damn sure. <laughs> um... Jimmy, All By My Side. This was the Jimi Hendrix uh, biopic from uh, John Ridley, who wrote 12 Years a Slave. Mm. Um, it's got its moments. I, I saw it the other day, actually. Oh, is that the one with Andre 3000? With, with Andre Benjamin, okay. yeah, as Jimmy. The part, that's a, Similar to how Selma can't use any of the speeches, that movie couldn't use any of Jimmy's songs, um, which is a little like, huh, <laughs> I feel like I should be hearing something here. Mm. Um Let's see, there's Love is Strange with Alfred Molina and John Lithgow. I really like this movie quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Uh, the Two Faces of January, I believe that's Viggo Mortensen and uh, Kristen Dunst and uh, Oscar Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think it's Oscar. a Patricia Highsmith movie from, like, uh, she did um, uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. She wrote the books of Talented Mr. Ripley and so on. Uh, that's one of those. Um, it's not a Ripley movie, but just one of her books adapted into a film. And uh, lastly, Boardwalk Empire, the final season. Um, did you watch Boardwalk Empire, Todd? No. No, no, I haven't watched it, unfortunately. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's one of those ones where I like, I they would send me like the Blu-rays, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch this, mm-hmm. and then like something would, you know, I'd be like covered in movies, or it'd be Comic Con or something, and I'm like, oh, I'll get to it afterward, and then I'd forget. So, yeah. I watched the whole series, and I overall, I am a fan of it. I, I think it never quite got to kind of the potential one would hope for with a Martin Scorsese produced period drama starring Steve Buscemi, which sure. you know screams, that's the best show ever. Um, it certainly had its peaks, I believe, in like the second and third season, but the final season was really strong as well. So if anyone ever wants to catch up with Warlock Empire, those are my thoughts on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, okay, last thing uh, before we get to the end here. Uh, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? So, Todd, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Well, I think, uh, I mean, Selma is a movie that I think everybody should definitely go see. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it's... You know, it's it's easy to say movies are important and therefore worthy of going to see, but this is a movie that is is not just important; it's like hugely resonant and uh, and thought provoking in in the best possible way. Simultaneously, I would say go see uh, Inherent Vice because it's great and uh, <laughs> it's tons of fun. I mean, you know, not to revisit every one of our points, but I'll tell you, man, uh, Brolin is such an MVP in that movie. He's just so funny, start oh, yeah. to finish, and yeah. And, you know, while, while at the end, you know, and, and, and at the same time, like really, uh, like kind of like funnily kind of almost sad that, uh, that, you know, you get to the end, you're like, wow, I kind of feel bad for this guy in spite of the fact that he's such a huge dick. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he gets yelled at by his wife. <laughs> yeah. That Christian. Is so great. Christian. Say, and don't walk around like, like a dog that just got beaten or yeah. something like that. It was, it just killed me. Yeah. Can you just do it for one day? <laughs> <laughs> what do you plan to see next, Todd? Uh, what do I plan to see next? You know, I'm seeing Black Hat on Monday. I'll, uh, so I'll see you I, there. <laughs> and I, uh, my, my fingers are crossed uh, that it will be good, although I've heard 
not so good things. Uh, you know, I mean, I like, but then again, you know, Michael Mann, uh, like sort of his post, uh, insider output has been pretty uneven for me personally. Uneven's so. a good way to put yeah, it. I was going to say, I'm a, I'm a huge collateral fan, so I made it. Yeah, I like collateral, but I mean, I didn't like Miami Vice. Miami Vice yeah. and, the, and Public Enemy is a movie that you don't yeah. remember until you say it. Uh, oh, so. I, I, did, I did forget about that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, is that the one with uh, Johnny Depp and Christian Bale? Yeah, that's one. That's, okay, yeah. that's one of the few Johnny Depp roles where he's not playing a zany character in the past ten years. Yeah, that's yeah. public enemies. <laughs> oh, so bad. But uh, yeah, I, I reflect what you're saying. So I mean, I'd say so. Selimacy, inherent vice. See anything that's up for award, an award right now? There's not really much you can go wrong with in that realm. Um, and yeah, Black Hat's what I am gonna see next. Uh, yeah. Abe, what would you recommend? I'm going to I'm gonna recommend, you guys are going to recommend some good movies, but I'm going to put in top five. If you guys haven't seen top five, definitely go see it. I think it's one of the uh, pretty well-made movies as well. Uh, and then what am I going to see next? Jennifer Lopez classic, Boy Next Door. Nice. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, things are wet out here. Oh, my God. I love your mother's cookies. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm going to see Black Hat and not going to watch The Boy Next Door. Um... Ever. Yeah, and speaking of, actually, I forgot to go, I went right over next week. Next week's show, uh, we might talk Black Hat, but that might be just quickies, because I think American Sniper is the film that we're going to talk more. If it's open wider, yeah. It, no, it opens wide next week, in, oh, I, in, in IMAX, no less. So, you know, plenty, plenty wow. of people to get the American Sniper fix if they want it. But okay. yeah, that's going to be, I think that's going to be the main review for next week's show. And with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron Nave. You can find more of my work on my personal blog at CodeAzeek.com, where you can find all my movie reviews, as well as at YSubBlue.com for all my Blu-ray and movie reviews there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at WalrusMoose.blogspot.com and Twitter.com slash WalrusMoose. Hashtag uh, Veep Season 3. <laughs> and uh, Todd, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, well, they can find it if they can read Chinese at MTime.com. Uh, but otherwise, you can follow my uh, always- uh, indisputably brilliant, um, uh, witty, and insightful uh, comments and observations about everyday things on uh, Twitter at MT Gilchrist, and and I, I say that um, that's completely true. I'm not being arrogant or anything. They're all just brilliant. So I'm just <laughs> you guys know. Um, I've read them and I've been blown away. Like literally, <laughs> like it's like it's like opening up the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. It's just gold in my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. If you wanna if you wanna watch somebody just say dumb shit all day, uh, MT Gilchrist. Um, I take a lot of pictures of my cats, which you can see on Instagram at Best Dressed Todd. Uh, and then, um, you know, otherwise, I just uh, you know, you might see me because I follow you around. All so, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe, including our fantastic Top Ten show from last week on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at HHWLED.com. That is the podcast network that hosts our show, along with other fun shows like the Walking Dead TV podcast, Legion of Dudes, and other fun comics and TVs and video game-related shows like that. You can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomag.com, as well as soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. Feel free to email us your thoughts on Selma, Inherent Vice, or whatever else you might have seen recently at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow uh, underscore podcast. And, of course, there is our Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, and feel free to use our voicemail line, 972-798-3830, to let us, you know, send us an audio note of sorts, and we might be able to play it on the show and uh, respond in some way. So, with all that said, Todd Gilchrist, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. I had a, had a, had a great time. 
Good, yeah. And, uh, of course, you you know, you mentioned Tokyo Drift, so that's one of the key ways to get back on the show. So, of course, you're welcome <laughs> to come back at some point. Sure, sure. And, um, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time when we talk about how good of a sniper Bradley Cooper actually is, that's going to do it. So, so long. And goodbye. It's like opening up the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. It's just gold in my face. <laughs> <laughs>